Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za This evening we um, are going to look at uh, love one another, love one another. And I'm going to just say, I'm going to say the outset that um, I was worried this week that I'm not going to do enough justice to this high call. Um, as I was preparing, Lydia was saying to me that in a sense, all the other one another's are encompassed in a call to love one another. So you'll have to excuse me if you hear references from, from other texts. Uh, if you're able to, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I'm going to read from verse 31. John chapter 13 from verse 31. It reads as follows. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, please use this jar of clay, this earthen vessel, to come and do an eternal work. Father, I do pray that you please use this message to save anyone here who is not in Christ. And I do ask that you would leave this evening with just a, a better understanding of how to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Think back of a time where you have had to bid farewell to friends or, or colleagues or even loved ones. When you were going on a long journey, or perhaps move from one city to another or even change jobs, what was your parting message at that time? It might have been something as uh, simple as saying, take care and see you in the future. Or perhaps something a bit more meaningful, such as, I love you and will be thinking of you often while I'm away. Or something which I say to my kids often when I go on extended work trips, be good and listen to your mom. Some of these are indeed meaningful farewell messages. But by far the weightiest farewell messages we can expect to hear are those to be given just moments before our final breaths. Some might argue that what you say in those final moments will reveal what's most important to you. I wonder what your parting words will be at those final moments. What we're not left to wonder about though this evening is Jesus' parting words to his disciples just moments before his death. Now our scripture text this evening forms part of what is come to be known as Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. 
Now, this farewell discourse spans five chapters, from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, ending with Jesus' high priestly prayer. It is in this final discourse that we encounter what I believe to be his most important farewell message, being an exhortation to his disciples to love one another. It is so important that he doesn't just say this in our text that we've just read about, but he also says it in John 15, 12 to 13. You don't have to turn there, but he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, of course, we know that Jesus was going to be reunited with his disciples in just three days at his resurrection. But this shows us one of Jesus' most important agendas, being God's glory in the church, loving one another. As you now unpack our text, I've simply divided it into three um, headings. The Lord's commandment, the manner in which we are to exercise this command, and thirdly, the implications of obeying this command. So let's look firstly, the Lord's commandment to his disciples. Verse 34 of our text says this, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Tina Turner, in her most successful single, What's Love Got to Do With It? A song which was ranked 134th in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time and 38th in the Song of the Century list says this in the chorus. She says this, she says, What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love, love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Why are you guys smiling so much? You love the song. Gee. In, the, in this song, Tina Turner, and, and a big portion of our world system, judging by this, world, this song's impressive rankings, views love as simply a, an emotion, a chemical or physical reaction, and has no lasting effects and consequences. This is clearly a very low and cheap view of life, which undermines the value of people, of God, people made in God's image. Sorry to disappoint you if that song was important to you. Now what Jesus calls his disciples to in our text, however, is the highest and purest form of love. The Greek word for love in verse 34 is agape and carries with it the idea of sacrificial love, sacrificing yourself and what's yours for the benefit of others, the sort of love that God has for his people. This has the same Greek meaning as we see in Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It is to be contrasted with uh, eros, from where we get erotic uh, and sensual love, which Tina Turner is referring to, uh, and philia, which has the idea... To to and philia, from where we get the sense of a, a friendship kind of affection. And perhaps the best illustration of this love that Jesus uh, calls his disciples to can be found in that book, Hosea. As many of you know, Hosea is a, is a graphic and very forceful illustration of God's sacrificial and unconditional love towards an unfaithful Israel. In it, the prophet Hosea is called to marry an unfaithful woman, Gomer, and take her as a wife, something which even in our very 
that liberal culture is jaw-dropping and unbelievable. God says in Hosea 1-2, you don't have to go there, it says, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom against the Lord. It doesn't get more striking than this. Despite his wife's adultery, continuous adultery and betrayals, Hosea is called to fetch his wife from wandering in the streets and continue to love her. We read in Hosea 3.1, And the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes and raisins. Now this is a vivid illustration of God's love for his people, that though they be unfaithful, and commits spiritual adultery, he continues to love them. And this is in contrast with the shallow views of love and is more glorious and pure and gives us a sense of what Jesus calls his disciples to this evening. Now the Lord Jesus calls his disciples to love one another, something which in and of itself shouldn't have been controversial because they would have heard Moses command them to love their neighbors as themselves. Turn with me please to Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18 in the Old Testament. In this verse you read, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this requirement to love that these disciples just heard of was nothing new. So then it begs the question, and you would have seen it in verse, in verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Why is it a new commandment? In light of Leviticus 19.18, that we've just read, why on earth does Jesus call this a new commandment? Well, the answer to this might be obvious to you, but I must admit that I've had to agonize over this. Uh, and after much agonizing and even consulting, I've come to this conclusion that what makes this commandment new, and this brings me to my second heading, is the manner in which they were to love one another. Notice in verse 34, the Lord adds these staggering words to this command. He says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. The Lord therefore calls his disciples to imitate the manner in which he loved them. This is what made this, this makes this commandment new. You don't find it anywhere else. Uh, before this, this is what makes his commandment new, that he calls them to love one another just as he has loved them. Jesus, as the, sec the second and, and better Moses, the lawgiver, is giving us a new commandment this evening, being to imitate his love for us towards one another, and it's becoming the blueprint of the manner in which we are to love one another. Previously, God's people were to love one another as they loved themselves, I'm sure you'll agree with me that many of us don't love ourselves in the way that we should. And now we need to go love someone the way we love ourselves. But what's undeniably good and perfect is the way Jesus loves us. So friends, for us to even begin to contemplate obeying this commandment, it would be useful to understand the manner in which Jesus loves us. There are at least three ways uh, to describe Jesus' love for the church. And I've divided them into three subheadings. Jesus' love is unconditional. Secondly, Jesus' love is sacrificial. And thirdly, Jesus' love as life-giving. Firstly then, 
Let's look at Jesus' love as unconditional. Now, in our context here, here are 11 men, Jesus' disciples. Now, with the greatest respect to these men, these were not impressive men at all. You'll agree with me that there was nothing really to write home of regarding these men. They were fishermen, not born into nobility. There's no good, good looks to speak of or good works to speak of. They were self-centered and vain. And we see that in our argument, in the, in the argument they had between themselves in, in Luke 22, um, 24 to 30, where they are debating and arguing among themselves as to which of them is greatest. And for their efforts, we know that Jesus rebukes them. They also didn't come from you know, moral or upstanding families. You remember James and John's, John's mother, he says to, to Jesus, will you grant that you know, my sons, one will sit on your left and one will sit on your right in your paradise? <laughs> Can you imagine that? These men betrayed Jesus at his lowest point in life, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was, when he was about to be betrayed. And perhaps the lowest and most humbling experience of Peter is denying Jesus three times before the cock crowed, just moments before he said, I will lay down my life for you. Like us, these men are weak and unstable like water. They say, one, they say this thing the one day and they do the opposite the next day. In human terms, these men are not lovable. Surely Jesus' patience would run out and stop loving them, right? No. Turn with me, please, to John 13, verse 1. The same chapter we're in. Just go to the first verse. John chapter 13, verse 1. Listen to these words. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, listen to this. This is so good. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Did you hear that? Notice that it doesn't say, he loved them for six months and then stopped loving them after they revealed their true colors. Something which probably I would have done, to be honest. No, he, he loved them to the end. What a model of unconditional love. This also applies to us, to his disciples today. Having loved us, he will love us to the end. Now, I enjoy watching soccer and one of my uh, favorite teams is Kaiser Chiefs. Now, this team always, always messes up. They mess up the easy games. They, they mess up the difficult games. I've told myself many times that oh, this is it. I'm done. I'm going to stop loving this team. Because of all the grief I keep getting when watching. In fact, it happened last night. They lost the game they should have won. But I just can't help it. I just, I just love that gold and yellow jersey. I just love that team. You say, but why do you love it? I just love it. Now, some people who are sitting in this room have given up loving Kaiser Chiefs. They will remain unnamed, Maslani. <laughs> but I just, I just can't help it. Listen to me. Let, me. let me tell you something, okay? You and I are little Kaiser Chiefs. We mess up and mess up and mess up. We mess up when we lie down, we mess up when we get, get up. We mess up in silence and we mess up loudly. We find excuses to mess up all the time. Yet Jesus' love never fails us. 
Jesus' love, and I quote, it says, Jesus' love bears out even to the edge of doom, as William Shakespeare said in one of his poems. Now let your mind marvel, dear friend, as you think of the riches of Jesus' love towards you, if you're a Christian here this evening. Now he calls us to do the same for one another. Is there someone at church who's hurt your feelings recently? You are to continue to love him or her by, loving, by showing him unconditional love. Is there someone, despite your countless efforts to reach out to him or her, never responds to you or answers your WhatsApps? Don't throw in the towel. You are to continue loving that person. How about a brother or sister who just, just never has anything nice or encouraging to say about you? Well, you are to love him because you have been on the receiving end of such unconditional love. Secondly, let's now consider Jesus' love as sacrificial. Jesus' love as sacrificial. Our Lord Jesus Christ unpacks sacrificial love for us in John 15, 13. John 15, 13. When he says, Greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And of course, Jesus demonstrated this perfect love for us and that he laid down his life physically for us, whom he calls his friends. Having tasted true separation from God in order that we might not experience this separation from God. Our sins upon the sinless one, our death upon life itself. Now in addition to this, he gave up perfect ecstasy and joy in heaven, in the triune God, and decided to clothe himself with weak and frail humanity. This example of love is what he calls us to this evening. Now the probabilities are low that we'll ever have to physically die for one another. But what, but we, what we can do is to die to self for the benefit of one another. What I mean by this is that there will be times where you are called to deny legitimate joys and, and pleasures and comforts for the benefit of our brothers and sisters. What could this look like practically? It looks like taking on someone else's burdens on yourself in a real sense. Weeping with those who weep. Perhaps even losing sleep when someone else is losing sleep over an issue they're mulling over. It could mean willingly being inconvenienced or denied of a relaxed Saturday evening by deciding to go have a cup of coffee with a young Christian and read the Bible together. That is a sacrifice if you think of all the things you could be doing on a Saturday afternoon. What a sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to show one another this evening. Thirdly, and lastly, let's think of Jesus' love as life-giving. Our Lord Jesus Christ's love for us had a goal to which it was looking towards. And that goal was that we would have life. John 10, John 10 verse 10, you don't have to go there, it says this. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You ever wondered why Jesus came? There's your answer. He came so that his people might have life. I'm not talking about, you know, having oxygen go through your lungs and, you know, your heart beating. 
I mean, in fact, a time will come where oxygen will not go through your lungs and your heart will stop beating. But Jesus calls us to something greater. His love gives us something greater. It's, it's an eternal life with freedom from the effects of the fall. A life free from temptation to sin. Now how can we love each other like this? How can we love each other in a life-giving way? Now none of us here have the power to give love, or rather to, to give life to one another. But there is a sense in which our treatment to one another can add to our spiritual vigor. Words of encouragement. Don't underestimate what the simple words, Jesus loves you, to a brother or sister who's discouraged, can mean to them. What a, what a source of encouragement that could be. Praying for one another is an example of life-giving love to which Jesus calls us to. Do you love your fellow brothers and sisters so much that you prepare to bring their requests and needs before the throne of grace? Or are your, are your prayers 99.9% about you? May God help us to love one another by following Jesus' example of love. Now, if this was not enough for you, and you still wonder what love practically looks like in our context, you know, Paul helps us in answering this question in that famous text, 1 Corinthians 13. Turn with me, please, there, and let's start at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read from verse 4. It reads as follows. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can these attributes, which can be said of Jesus, who perfectly modeled these, be said of you? Are you a patient person? Or are you quick to get agitated when things don't go your way? Are you kind to your fellow Christians? Can, they, can this be said of you? So and so is a kind brother or sister. Are you boastful or rude, always making things about yourself? King or, or queen, me, me, the first. Let me ask you this. Do you give people the benefit of the doubt? If you say meeting with someone for a cup of coffee and they're running late, do you get annoyed at them or agitated at them? You're sort of thinking the best of them, saying, you know what, perhaps there's load shedding and robots are out. Maybe this brother or sister is late because of traffic delays. Or worse, maybe, maybe he's not well. Let me just call him and find out if everything is okay. That is love, hoping all things. If this describes you, I encourage you to repent and ask God to make you love like you should. As we draw to a close, I'd like to ask this question. Who is sufficient for this task? This is an incredibly high calling that the Lord calls us to. And if I were to end the sermon here, I'm no doubt leave many of you discouraged. Because if you're like me, there's no way you're loving like Jesus calls us to. We're blessed enough to be in a, in a multicultural, multi-generational church. And praise the Lord for that. We have in our gatherings people from Gomasi to Cape Town. People from Gen First and Limpopo to KZN. 
with people from Kenya and the United States and Great Britain. And how amazing is this? But what comes with this is more stumbling blocks, which would hinder us from loving one another the way we should. My wife and I come from different cultures, different backgrounds, different everything. Okay? And because of this, there might be certain disagreements and frustrations that would not necessarily be there for a monocultural marriage. This, of course, is no excuse that we cannot love each other, but it means that we need to find a way to overcome these things, and it might take longer. Now, this is the same with our church. We're not a, a homogenistic gathering here. We have people from different backgrounds, different ways of doing things, different ways of interpreting things, different ways of understanding things, and that makes loving very difficult. So let me ask you this question again. Who is sufficient for this task? The answer is a resounding, no one. On our own, instead of loving one another, we would despise one another. Instead of loving one another unconditionally, we would love one another conditionally. Instead of loving one another sacrificially, we would love one another selfishly. What then is our solution to this? Is there any encouragement that can be found? Look no further than John 15, 45. It's so important. I'm going to ask you to turn there. John 15, from verse 45. It says this. Abide in me. And I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice what our master is saying here. The only way we can bear this awesome fruit of love is if we abide in him. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. Spring is one of my favorite seasons just because of the flowers that you know, blossom. And what I enjoy doing is just cutting off the branches. I walk in the garden, I just cut the branch that has flowers and I, I put it in a vase in the house so we can enjoy its beauty and, and God's goodness. Many times we only get to enjoy the flowers for a few days. In worst scenarios, we only enjoyed it for a few hours. Why is this? Because it's being cut off, that branch is being cut off from the life-giving sap from the, that it gets from its tree. Because it's been removed from that, it cannot bear those beautiful flowers that it can bear only if it's, if it's attached to its tree. In the same way, unless we abide in Christ the vine and drink of his life-giving sap, we cannot bear these beautiful flowers. We cannot bear this awesome fruit of love. So abide in him by meditating on his person. Abide in him by meditating on his works. Spend time in the word, seeking diligently. Pray for grace. And you will get to bear this wonderful fruit of love. Notice now, and this is my last point. What rides on loving one another? The, the consequences of obeying in verse 35. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
we prove our we prove our faith to outsiders if we love one another we do this because it shows that we are obedient to christ who gave us the command to love one another okay can this be said of heritage baptist can this be said of heritage baptist not just on sunday but on monday and tuesday and wednesday and friday that we are true disciples of jesus because we love one another now if you're an unbeliever here this evening you cannot love this way not because of an unwillingness to do so but because of an inability to love this way you are not a branch in this tree let alone a detached branch you're not even a branch if you're not a branch of an apple tree you cannot bear apples so you have a bigger problem than simply failing to love the way we call to yours is a is a grim picture of total alienation hmm, total removal from god who made you an eternity in judgment for breaking god's law now this is the bad news but the good news is this that jesus made a way for you to become a branch to be grafted in into this tree and he did this by sending his son to come and die on the cross for our sins. Now, won't you respond to this positively? Won't you welcome these good news and be part of this awesome tree that God is, is raising and is pruning that it might bear more fruit? May God do this in your heart. Now, if you're a Christian this evening, be encouraged by this promise that if we abide in him, we can love the way he calls us to daunting as this might sound and show ourselves to be a living testimony to the watching world of the goodness and beauty of christ i titled my sermon what's love got to do with this and the answer is this no mrs turner love what does it have to do with everything love has got everything to do with it may god help us to love as we should let's pray Heavenly Father, we, it's easy for us to be discouraged when we hear these transcending, awesome commands that we are unable to keep on our own. Oh Lord, but we thank you that you've given us our Lord Jesus Christ, the vine himself, that if we abide in him, we can love the way we should. Father, we repent for times where we've ignored this command where we've been self-centered and not focusing on one another's and ask for grace that you help us be this way we pray this now in jesus name amen